Hello and welcome to actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. God, you'd think they would somebody else would be into this I market think by now. Someone tried and they died. That's well, that's the why curse of that, the movie podcast. And uh, why we're I, brave. Wait, I'm sorry, what did you say? We're brave for trying. We're it's, brave for I mean, I I just think I'm brave in general. My, and me, I am Chris Chafin. I'm one of the hosts. You are an Atlanta Braves fan, if I'm not mistaken. That is true from yeah. my childhood. Yeah, that's Fuck true. the Braves. Go Pirates. I know. Well, I mean, it's there. It's not cool to be a Braves fan right now, <laughs> to do the tomahawk chop. To be any uh, Native American fan to get into that right away. Uh, like Chiefs already got backlash. Super Bowl attendees, Chiefs. I was actually thinking that this whole time. Do you want to say your name, by the way? Oh, um, Caleb Shively. Yeah, so I was thinking as as the Chiefs were having this amazing, amazing year, I'm like, isn't it kind of fucked up though that it's the Chiefs? Like, you I know, mean, everyone will get an out as long as there's still a team called Redskins. Yeah, that's that is wild. fucked up. That's wild. Also, Indians is a term that like we've decided it's not years good, and yeah. years ago that's not okay. So I went to Florida State University, and I have many times have had arguments with people in bars about why they are the only one that's okay. Oh my gosh! Do you want to hear it right now? I'm maybe uh, Utah I'll cut it out. Utes is okay too. I'm so maybe I'm going to cut this out of the show. But here's why <laughs> the Seminoles is an okay mascot. Number one, it, it's named after a specific real tribe of Indians of Native Americans. Sure. Okay. Number two. It is with the permission of that tribe of they Native Americans, and they pay that tribe a huge amount of money every year. That's great. And number three, they are the only Native American tribe that never officially ended their war with the United States, and that's fucking cool as shit. That is cool. So, like, uh, I do enjoy the Florida and, and State. Wait, and, and their mascot okay. is based on a real person, also. Um, uh, one of my favorite color schemes: maroon and gold. Ooh, daddy, that's pretty like. good. I think you mean garnet and gold. Those are the colors. Who? So every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, Caleb and I talk about two movies. One of them is brand new. One of them is older. Uh, and they sort of interact in this way, like uh, like the yin and yang symbol. Are you familiar with this, Caleb? Uh, yang, yes, because he's running for president. Yes, Caleb's in the yang gang. I should have mentioned that earlier. He's the only Asian candidate. Um, I mean, it's true. You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, is there if there's a yin, I might vote for them too. But I'm not gonna vote for Andrew Yang. Dude, he should definitely find a running mate whose last name is Yin. Like, why in that the world has he not done point. that? Because his audience is like white tech bros who have a really dumb sense of humor, like people with bacon tattoos. People who uh think the Warriors are gonna make the playoffs when Steph yeah, Curry comes off, back. Fuck off. So like those are the exactly the kind of people that would respond to a yin yang ticket. <laughs> Well, I like I recognize this word here. Vote. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> this it. is a movie podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. This week on the show, we're talking about two movies, two very different looks at uh, filmmaking and filmmakers. The first of them is from 2019. It's by the new movie by Pedro Almodovar. It's called Pain and Glory. And the other one is uh, from the year of 1992. It is Robert Altman's The Player. Uh, the connection between these two movies. Uh, is that it is uh, an artist, uh, Almodovar and Altman, two artists who start with letter A. Uh, using <laughs> Thank you, their... <laughs> Caleb. Look forward to more alphabet insights from Caleb and during the show. And they're both auteurs, another Ooh, A word. I love it, uh, triple but it's, A. Uh, artists, in this case uh, filmmakers, uh, using their own life to influence their own art, which is these movies. Um, uh, a director with back pain is Pedro Almodovar, which is also what this movie is about, and uh, Robert Altman kind of exiled from the Hollywood system, comes back to Hollywood to make a critique, if you will, on Hollywood. So that's they're using these feelings and lives just to use movie magic to make movie magic. And that is what most directors do anyway. 
they're using movie magic to make movie magic. Yeah. They're using and that's their what own most directors do anyway. Yeah. They're using <laughs> their own movie magic lives. Because they're as, right, as you just, live. Just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> uh, so that's all this week on actually best choice movies. Uh, but before we get to any of that, Caleb, like, what have you been watching this week, dog? Oh, I watched so many stuff that I just, like, forgot about. I watched so many stuff. I just forget, I think. Like, I forget most of what I watched in Two Popes. Uh, I think are it was two, you, two or for, three? Two or three Popes? I, I think, it, I think it there was, was two, two of them. I wouldn't swear to it, though. Uh, are you yeah. saying you forget most of what happens in Two Popes? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I remember the scene where they're eating pizza. <laughs> That's a good scene. <laughs> it's a good scene. Uh, and also, I, I, you know what I kept thinking about that scene. So that's like they—it's um the good Pope, um, Jonathan Price, Jonathan Price, Francis. Um, Francis. Yeah, right. He stops at some like shack outside the Vatican, like a little food truck, and he gets pizza there. And then later on, he's talking to Ratzinger, the bad Pope. Bad Pope. And he's like, "Oh, bad I know pope, the best place to get pope. pizza. It's fantastic. It's right outside." I kept thinking, like, "There's no way that fucking pizza is good. I'm sure it's disgusting. <laughs> like, this guy is just from like South America. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He doesn't know any shit about pizza. Like, I'm sure this. I'm sure that pizza was gross." Based on Wasn't the food it trucks, it was Italy pizza, well, dude. It was like uh, it was like a hot dog cart, basically, but it was sur- serving pizza. I would trust that more than like most places. Oh come on! I mean, look, <laughs> it's they, a pizza place in Italy. Uh, they can make bad pizza in Italy. They got a good I mean? sauce. They got a good cheese. Are you saying there's no such thing as a bad hamburger in America? Like, ooh, I've uh, let's let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, please go ahead. You're talking about uh, the yeah, uh, it's fine. Uh, there's a weird Beatles scene where they talk about the Beatles. It's like, oh, Yellow Submarine. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, yeah, it was funny. I mean, it was. It's all like LOLs for uh, uh, the same director as City of God. Yeah, what, uh, very weird. What drastically different movies? <laughs> very, very weird. Um, I, uh, also on Netflix, which is where I watched Two Popes. Uh, there's uh, Maddie Congratulations. G- Maddie Jops uh, Atlantics. I would recommend everyone go check that out. It's, Wait, now tell me uh, what this is. This uh, guy's uh, name is Maddie. Jops? Uh, her name is um, Maddie Jops. I'm sorry, D- they let women direct movies now. Hell is- yeah. <laughs> wow okay fine whatever. they're great at it not according to the oscar nominations am i right fuck the oscars <laughs> yeah by the way neither one of us prepared anything to say about the oscars because the nominations were so upsetting that we were like who gives a single shit i mean shout out parasite we love you yeah, shout out parasite yeah that's cool but, and i mean shout out pain and glory that we're gonna talk yeah about. oh yeah um i saw uh that goldblum movie directed by rick alverson who i like a lot uh the mountain do you believe your dreams are imaginary or that they're real? Jeff Goldblum is an early brain surgeon, like in the like 40s, where they just like, it was like still like, oh, this is an experimental technique. See this woman? The woman's in distress. I'm gonna help her. Now we take her back here. Is that what you did to my mother? It doesn't really star Jeff Goldblum. It stars more Ty Sheridan, that young actor from Ready Player One, who I like. And also yeah. Tree of Life. He's been in another Rick Alverson movie, uh, that new hamburger one, Entertainment. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like yeah, yeah. Rick Alverson, but I didn't love this movie. Anyway, I'll, I'll use the rest of my time to talk about uh, VHS. This is a movie oh, I sure, saw. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, it's directed, actually, where, as the player is uh, stars Tim Robbins. This movie was directed by his son, uh, Jack Henry Robbins. And Tim Robbins appears in this movie and he co- do- completely and he was, coincidentally. He's super funny in it, too. Um, and it's a very funny movie. Uh I didn't. I was surprised that there was a little bit of hearts to it. I did not expect it to. I thought it was going to be a straightforward sketch movie. Uh, the premise 
of VHS, uh, besides being a pun on VHS, is uh, it's just a found tape and you put it in and it's uh, a kid's birthday present, uh, excuse me, Christmas present. So it says December 25th as a timestamp of him just like, oh, wow, I have a video camera. Wait, I I could record late night TV with this. So it's like him discovering the camera and playing with it with his friend, coupled with a bunch of like late night infomercials and uh, like weird porn things that you would like tape as a kid. That's interesting because I, I thought it was just a sketch movie. I thought it was like the 10 or something. I didn't know it. it so even there's had any like these kind of weird plot. sketches and like they put out some ringers and uh, we miss you. We love you. Carrie Kenny silver is great in this movie. Uh, Mark Proch, who's one of my heroes is it was in her this birthday movie. recently. Carrie Kenny. Did you see all the nice social media? Posts I did not about see it? that. I love that. Cause we I even... follow Thomas Lennon and uh, David Wayne on oh, nice. uh, Instagram and Twitter, I think. So like I saw lots of old pictures of Carrie Kennedy. She's uh, super amazing and she should be in way more things. She was She's the... great. She's great. Uh, Arguably the best actor. She's cool the as state. shit. Can I tell you? Yeah. I honestly had a huge crush on her Dude, when I was a little uh, kid. Check out I was VHS. extremely attracted to uh, her. She plays Bob Ross type, but then there's a twist, and the twist is super funny. It's like it's painting with uh, her name's Joan, painting with Joan, and then it becomes uh, poisoning someone with Joan. <laughs> and it, it just really, really good. Sleeping, going to sleep with Joan. Are you asleep now? And then it's just like her watching you sleep, even though it's just how would that work as a TV show? <laughs> um, but yeah, Tom's in this movie too. Uh, like I said, uh, Tom, Tom. Tim, Tim Rob. Uh, Tom Lennon. You oh, okay. Tom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim Robbins is in it. Uh, Wyatt Blood's in it. Charlene Yee. Uh, Yee. Great. Natalie, a lot of great people. Natalie's in it? Uh, yes. Wyatt Blood, Natalie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you know I, I went out. I did karaoke with her one time. Oh, for wow. A, I interviewed her for the, for the Village Voice. And the, the premise of the article was supposed to be that we were going to go do karaoke together. But we met up beforehand for a drink. But then we ended up having like two or three drinks. And she told me like uh, the so many wild stories and then we went and did karaoke so really the karaoke is kind of a small part of the article i mean the funny thing was we started doing karaoke and we went to that place baby grand on mm-hmm. um, uh, you know second and it's in soho i guess right sure. uh it's very very small it's a very very small karaoke bar and when you sing karaoke you're singing to the whole bar but there could not be more than 10 people in the mm-hmm. bar basically so she did a song we we got there kind of late you know and everybody in the bar like started groaning because she's like so fucking. I mean, she's a professional musician, right? Like she's so good. Everybody went, "Oh fuck!" Like what? And then other people in the bar were like, "Oh, I'm gonna do a duet. Like you have to do the duet with me." Oh damn! And she was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't really want to do anything." Like, oh, I don't on, like do, strangers. Do it with me, you know. Oh, I don't know you. It was pretty funny. But anyway, she's great in this movie. She great. sings a song. Uh, it's a very sturdy movie. And again, um, there's a a heart to it. Like it's all these weird late night sketches things. But then. Uh, he it's also his tape that he's filming like he does a lot of little kid stuff like oh I'm gonna set off a firecracker and it's him hanging out with his friend but also there's the conceit of uh, he films over his parents wedding tape oh yeah so yeah. it's like really cu- cut bursts of it I guess I and saw then there's that like the, uh, the yeah it's, it's a joke but like it, they actually like play it out into like the parents like own issues I was like oh, oh uh, okay, yeah. there's a gimmick this whole gimmick movie actually uh, tries to have an underlying uh, sensitivity to it and I was surprised that I was not distracted by that <laughs> that's cool it sounds it honestly sounds like a very good yeah, movie I, would I rec- was supposed to go to this Caleb bought me a ticket to it oh, yeah, but you, owe I, me, you owe me money I owe, you, I owe Caleb money um but I was like building an igloo and I was actually home. I, to be I honest was with building you, building an igloo. I was home. I was home when you guys saw VHS, but I had been gone for the previous two nights building an igloo on a frozen lake. And I was like, 
I was not allowed to be out anymore. I had sure. to go home and take care of my baby. Mm. Oh, I was telling Caleb when we're going to talk about Pain and Glory in a minute. It was playing. It's playing in, in the Angelical Theater here in New York. But I, I was like, maybe it's streaming somewhere. And then I found out that it was streaming, and I had a real moment of like a crisis of conscience because I, I, so I have a young child. Anybody who has a young child will know that getting permission from your spouse to go out of the house is like a very involved process and very rare. So I had permission to go to this movie this night. And it wasn't playing till eight, so that meant I would like go out and get a, get a drink and get like a bad <laughs> dinner for myself, like nachos or chicken wings or something, and then eat popcorn and chicken be out nachos, all night. Pop cheese. And so I was like, I discovered though that it was streaming, which meant like I could go home and watch the movie and also help do childcare. Very sweet of you. Um, but I was like, should I do it or should I not? <laughs> oh, no. Should I just go to the movie and pretend Man, I don't know? You had know. a devil on your shoulder, and then like a I, I, I sweet did, angel. I literally did, and I was text, I was like chatting with my friends at work. I was like, should I? Should I like, what should I do? They're like, and every single one of them said, "Go home." Yeah, every single one of them said to go home to my child. So I did. I, I came home to my child. Yeah, uh, it's streaming on Amazon. Amazon. It's, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. It's like four oh, or five dollars. Okay. So it's not free there. It's like yeah, they always do that. But yeah. compared to the, I mean, if we're thinking, oh, I'm going to go out to right. a bar, get a beer or two, dinner, then get a soda mm-hmm. and popcorn at a movie, and buy movie tickets. That's like. 50 or $60. But we support independent theater. Of course, of course. I mean, it's Angelica. Come on. Um, as far as for myself, like what have I been watching? Mm-hmm. I haven't been watching any movies lately that I would want to talk about. I'll say I've been watching The Outsider on HBO. Have, have you been I watching I have this? been watching The Outsider I on HBO. I think it's very good. Um, I'm really into, what's his face now? Jay Bateman? No, no, the other guy. Ben Mend? Ben Mendelsohn. I'm really into Ben Mendelsohn now because of this <laughs> show. Like, I'm really, I was looking up pictures of him from like the He's 80s. He's great, yeah. Because apparently he was a child star in Australia. I don't know that. Oh, wow. He was part of like the, you know how we had the Brat Pack in the US, which was Ooh, like. What all was the, theirs called? The Brit Pick? They were called the Mouse Pack. <laughs> They were called the Mouse. So basically, both of these names are plays on the Rat Pack. So in the US, they were like, because the Rat Pack was in the 50s and then this is in the 80s. So and they're like, oh, brats. ours are the Brat Pack because they're like a bunch of fucking snot-nosed Let's cool. re-own this word brat. Whereas in Australia, they were like, oh, I guess we're the Mouse Pack. I guess we do mousing. <laughs> so it was like him and like Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce. Oh, like, interesting. That's actually very interesting. Yeah. I didn't know idea who was Australian. I like the Land of Steady Habits, that Nicole Holofstern movie that came out like a year ago. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah, he's in that. Uh, he's so so. What's good his in this big movie? thing? He's in a TV show that I, don't, I didn't. Oh, uh, he's in Rogue One. Like he was like really yes. big in that. Wasn't he even on like a a TV show people love? I don't think so. Was he on no. a TV show people love? Here, hold on. I'm gonna look up something on IMDb. Ben Mendelsohn. Now you have to fill Jason time. Jason Bateman directs every episode of The Outsider. He's uh, turned into a pretty solid director. What did he win? He won a Golden Globe, right? Mm-hmm. I don't watch. Uh, his other Netflix show. Netflix, I think he won HBO. a Golden Globe He's for everywhere. like best. He had to give an acceptance speech like as a director. I think he won best director at the Golden Globes. I don't think it was at Globes because they wouldn't air that TV. Award. <laughs> uh, I think so. for a TV episode, maybe I think it was, it was the Emmy, Emmy actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Maybe you're right. I think um, you're right. What is his? Oh, he was in Ready Player One. He was the bad guy in Ready oh, Player I, One. Uh, ben Mendelsohn. A movie I somehow def- about. A movie I somehow always defend. Uh, the Dark Knight, Animal Kingdom. No, I don't know. Those are oh, his damn. main known for things. Oh, I guess he wasn't in a TV show. Good for him. Um, but he's he's very, very good. So it's based on a Stephen King him. story. It's like mildly supernatural. It also stars uh, Jason Bateman, who directs every episode. And uh, it's Oscar just, I think it's really, really good. Nominee, it's really Cynthia Irvi, Irvio. Is it yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's very um, sparse. 
you know, it's it's kind of like stereotypical like prestige TV, and then it's very like dark. Uh, it's and very everybody's depressed. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's drinking scotch in front of a fireplace, um, and their wife comes in, and they're like, HBO, and she's like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "Nothing." HBO very uh, much lucked out in that they got a house style after True Detective came out. Yeah, right. Um, totally. But also, I uh, one of my favorite character actors in this uh, motherfucking Bill Camp. I think the show you're thinking of is Bloodline. He was on Bloodline. Oh yeah, I don't know that show. Yeah, it, it probably is. Yeah. Uh, but Ben, uh, uh, Bill Camp is in the show. He's uh, the lawyer. Um, oh, he's so good. He's so really good. good. Yeah, he's, he's really, one of our really great good. character actors. I love him every because he thing. has this kind of professional hostility that he's mm-hmm. doing in the as as the lawyer, mm-hmm. and he's so good at doing that. Uh, and but he's like, because it's like it's not personal. It's just like he feels professionally he has to be angry. But if somebody's like, oh, like you know, don't don't do that because of blah, blah, blah. He's, he's one like, of those, okay, sure, uh, all right, fine, yeah. He's uh, not a demerit in uh, The Joker. Uh, he was in, uh, great, he got a hand job in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, my God. Uh, he uh, did this one I completely tiny, forgot about that. Yeah, he did this one dope scene in a, people, a movie we don't talk about anymore, Birdman. <laughs> people don't talk about Birdman anymore. I really liked Birdman. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I don't know that I will that, ever watch it again, but I really liked it. Have you got anything else to say about anything? Let's get into our well, two movies of choice. Okay, so the first movie we're talking about this week is 2019's Pain and Glory. What are you doing here? I have to talk to you. 32 years me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Si no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vivir, supongo. Ten cuidado conmigo, eh. Pain and Glory, the Spanish title is Dolor y Gloria, which is, by the way, the opening credits are one of the best parts of the movie. Sure, They're sure. really, really cool. Um, it's a new movie from Spanish filmmaker Pedro Almodovar. He's been making movies since the 70s, the 80s, depending on how you want to count. Uh, it's a semi-autobiographical story of an aging film director who is racked with pain, you know, both psychic and physical. And he's full of regret about things from his past. You know, it's also partially the story of this director's childhood, where he lived in a cave in rural Spain and was had an extremely close relationship with his mother, who's in youth, played by Penelope Cruz. Um, like many Almodovar films, the movie doesn't necessarily follow with like a straightforward plot logic. It follows more kind of like an emotional dream logic, where all of the parts of the, all of the emotions that are being experienced crystallize and resolve themselves. But it's it, it takes place over like several different time periods and a lot of times, you know, with different characters that kind of come out of nowhere. Um, but it's all about coming to terms with yourself and your past and the interplay between oblivion and awareness. Though it's about movies and movie making, you know, movie a movie from the past is a big part of the movie. It's also kind of in a way not about movie making at all. It's just about like the meaning of life and what what have you done on earth and was it worth anything and and have you learned anything while you were here uh i like this movie a lot uh how did you feel about it caleb uh, i'm gonna put an asterisk on your last sentence there and then we'll get to that asterisk uh, remind me about that asterisk uh but yeah the um, french comic asterisk is that what you're talking about uh no uh the word to use i think it's uh, uh shift eight okay the... great thank you very much <laughs> um but yeah, I, I, I like Pain and Glory. Uh, uh, out of all the Almodovar movies I've seen, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite Almodovar movie, but it's a very confidently directed, stylized movie oh that God. he does. Uh, and I think it's just more like a series of vignettes that he's just so confidently puts together because he's a good filmmaker. Like, it's all reckoning scenes of him just like coming to terms with his past. And it's good, 
But I don't know. There's like, like you said, the opening sequence. Was that the uh, like the sequence of as animated of all his pain? Oh, well, no. I was that just was... talking about the titles when it's just this kind of like psychedelic color field, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. There's but also... there, is, there is this computer graphics section yeah. where he's talking about all the different pains that he has. And you're seeing like diagrams of the human body and x-rays. I, don't know. And stuff. I, I would like to get your take on that because I, uh, I thought about it when I left. I was like, oh, that's cool. Then I thought about it more like, I guess that did all the heavy lifting for like the pain he's experiencing. Like there was like some moments yeah, it's called pain and glory. Well, I guess because what the movie's trying to establish, what's really important is that um, this director, the main character played by Antonio Banderas, who is nominated for best actor Oscar Very for this, good. a Spanish language movie. He doesn't say a word of English. It's fantastic that, I mean, I think that's really cool. It's all, yeah. I'll get more into him in a sec, but go ahead. He's so good. He's honestly so great in the movie. Um, the what they're trying so they're it's integral to the plot that you believe that this guy is in a lot of physical pain right and Mm -hmm. he's got all these chronic health problems so the way that they go about establishing this is they have this kind of like animated infographic sequence where it's like you're seeing all the nerves and muscles in the body and he's like this thing hurts and this thing hurts and this thing hurts um it's kind of lively directed has like a like a jaunty 50s jazz feel and it almost looks it almost looks like a like an instructional film Mm -hmm. strip from the 50s you know, it's a little cheesy. I mean, one thing I'll say about Almodovar is the reason I have a soft spot for him is that he's one of the directors that was putting out really interesting movies and that I really got into when I was in college, which was 2000 to 2004. I think, so Almodovar started making movies in the 70s. His sensibility shifted fundamentally, I would say, in the late 90s to the early 2000s, and then it's never really shifted again. So he's kind of like still making movies that are like really cool 2005 movies. Mm-hmm. So I, that was kind of what I read that sequence as being like. It was like, this is a really cool thing to do in 2005, and he doesn't, he still has 2005 ideas. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that, that that sequence just represented like, oh, that's the pain. I get that now. I know all his pain because they just explained it to me in this cool way. Uh, and there are a couple scenes where Banderas has to like put a pillow down when he kneels. Oh, and it happens like all the time. Yeah, yeah. and he, and they do portray him as frail. Uh, and he uh, and he, like, acts choking all the time. Yeah, very frail. But he still like got around pretty <laughs> easy. Well, like it seems sometimes like he's like about to die, and then a lot of the time he just seems fine. <laughs> it uh, just but, seems fine. Yeah. I mean, but outside of that, I think. The performance is absolutely outstanding, and it's one of those things like, I wish that this should be an Oscar. It should be like the Oscar frontrunner because it's very subdued. It's taking a famous person. uh, A real uh, person. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Pedro Abnover, who uh, suffered through back pain himself, uh, wrote a movie about a director having this back pain. And and Banderas, who... He might be misquoted here as was discovered by Almodovar, like in Matador and Time Me Up, Time Me Down, at least broke through with Almodovar. Yeah, sure. So like even him repaying that. And Banderas, uh, Zorro, uh, he was in Spy Kids, right? Yeah, uh, can be a big showy actor and he's solid at those. But here he's like kind of uh, subdued and just very uh, quiet. Yeah. And I uh, loved seeing him in this. It was a. Dude, old Antonio Banderas, like I love it so much. He fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Like walking, looking at him, he's he's got this like salt and pepper beard. He's got the exact hairstyle of Pedro Almodovar, which is just sticking straight up in the air in these kind of three like horns, like an anime character. It's funny because on on Almodovar it looks like a hairstyle, but on Antonio Banderas they made it look like he just like woke up and mm-hmm. like, like he just like rolled out of bed. Um, but he he's like a. 
you know, God, I don't want to sound like too crazy, but he's, you know, he's, he's really, really good. He's very, he just looks so broken down and sad and old in the movie. And he's 60 years old. Almodovar is 70 years old. So like, it's like pretty close in Hollywood terms In Hollywood terms is exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I did say this movie is a little bit like just vignettes made with confidence. Uh, so it's like tied together through, uh, this discovery, uh, or like people being into one of his old films, uh, and then he meets uh, an actor. Flavor, sabor. 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 And the poster Poster's is like really lips cool. with a tongue coming out. And he meets an old actor he had a falling out with, which leads to, uh, and that's like a nice scene where they like talk about their movie. Uh, and then it also Who leads. looks looks like, kind of like Johnny Depp, right? But like, kind of. Yeah. He's got a lot of rings and stubble and his hair is long. And then that. And he does heroin. Oh, yeah. So the heroin stuff. So this which, is like a huge part of the movie. It is the connector. But it's also like the director's name, uh, this character's name is Salvador Malo. Uh, which might be an anagram for Almodovar. Might might be. We haven't done the math, yeah. but it might be. I think there's like one also, or two extra Also, I just think Mallow means like bad, sort of. You I know. know. But he, he wrote that down. He wrote that shit down. Anyway. Um, Wait, do you want to talk about the heroin stuff now? or do you Yes, want... I do. Um, he, Salvador Mallow, had a pretty good experience with heroin. He pretty good... So this movie <laughs> makes a pretty good argument that heroin is like pretty cool. Um... Yeah, he does it and he kicks it. <laughs> Doesn't and he had a nice experience. It uh, helped him with his pain. Helped him. So the, the, a very so benign, non-addictive. <laughs> very benign, non-addictive, like a mostly enjoyable experience doing heroin. It is uh, So basically the idea is he reconciles with the, an actor who starred in his first movie, Sabor, and they had they had a falling out because the guy wouldn't stop doing heroin during the movie, and it kind of played the part differently, and it made the the director very mad, and they had a huge argument at the premiere, and they never spoke again. So in the in the in the movie, he goes back and meets with this actor, and the actor's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, well, there's a screening of Sabor coming up, and uh, you know, a repertory, uh, and I want you to come introduce it with me." And so they start talking, and the guy um, is like, "Well, I'm going to do some heroin, and if that courses you out, you can get the fuck out of here. I don't care." And Antonio Banderas says, like, no, actually, can I try some? And at this point, we've established that he's in a huge amount of pain. So you're like, oh, well. And I mean, what is Oxycontin but heroin? It's exactly the same. And he's so he we're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then over the course of the movie, he starts doing, like, heroin, like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually just, you know, quits. <laughs> and it's like, but he, I don't know, he'd only been doing it for, like, a couple months, I guess. Yeah. You know? And he, he goes to, there's this great scene where he goes to his doctor, and the doctor's like, um, he does a very frank, honest conversation with his doctor. Like, They're like, heroin, how much yeah. heroin are you, he's like, are you doing any other drugs? He's like, well, I'm doing heroin. <laughs> and the doctor's like, well, how often? He's like, well, every other day or, like, you know, every two days. I don't know, you know. His doctor treats him as a, yeah, a very every, nice, every, honest conversation. Good conversation about it. But um I do actually think it's a really good portrayal of somebody who like is going to like sneak drugs because there's a scene where he's hanging out with his assistant, his sister, like who is that his ex-wife? Uh, who is like that person? His, uh, yeah, his assistant, I think. Yeah. And she like gets up to go to the bathroom or something and he runs over to the little box where he has his heroin hidden and does like a bunch of heroin and then like comes back to the breakfast table and puts on sunglasses <laughs> so it doesn't look like he did heroin. And it but it's all like this very like calculated ritual and it's all put away nicely in this box and anyone who has ever had a drug problem will know that is exactly exactly what it is like to sneak away and do drugs. Uh but he does kick it at the end and I don't maybe there's something in here I'm forgetting that why he kicks it. There is a uh... So uh, after he meets with this actor who they reconcile, uh, his the actor does uh, one of his plays that he won't do. And it's, oh, it's not even a play. It's just like an essay that he yeah. wrote. Well, it's like a one-man show type thing. And it's called Addiction, and he puts it on, and Salvador Malo's ex-lover uh, happens to have seen this play right. and knows that it's about him. And that's a very quaint scene, but I don't know how it affected the rest of the movie. It's just, why was that yeah. in there? I don't know. It was, yeah. it was nice. Well, this is because what I'm saying is like, and this is what, I, you know, I... 
I'm not a I'm not a film studies professor. I can't make this <laughs> argument like a hundred percent. But to me, the themes of the movie seem to be about like remembering and forgetting. And so what is happening constantly throughout the movie is like things from the past are being dredged up and then mm-hmm. they're being ignored. Like the, like the hair, like I think yeah. that's the purpose of the heroine in the movie is like beyond obviously maybe Pedro Almodovar had a heroin problem at some point, <laughs> which seems like kind of what he's saying beyond that. It's like he finds such comfort in completely being able, he it's, it's like the heroine is going to make him forget, but instead it makes him remember and then he's come because every time he does heroin, he's having it's these the moments of vivid peace. flashbacks yeah, that make of his him past. Right, re- yeah. he's, he's remembering being a small and child the, with his. Those mother. are the best scenes in the movie. Those, it's like a uh, completely the, different the flashbacks. Movie. It's like two completely different movies. Yeah, uh, it's Penelope Cruz who uh, uh, Volver. Go check it out if you haven't seen great, it. Great movie. She's yeah. amazing. She. Uh, She's fantastic. Nominated in for an Oscar for yeah. that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I was going to say she won, but I don't think she won. Um, but. Uh, She's amazing in it, uh, and in, uh, this kid is very in it. And there's, um, he is very in it. Yes, he is definitely. in He's the very movie. good in it. I thought he was a, a very good young child actor. Uh, no, he's good. He's good. Yeah, way better than that Jojo Rabbit motherfucker. Oh, fuck that motherfucker, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. He's a shit. I can't believe how many Oscars that fucking shitty movie got nominated for. I'm so angry. But I thought those were the best parts of the movies, uh, and I did like how that there's like. The classic Elmodovar thing, uh, sexual awakening in a young boy. Yeah, sexual awakening. <laughs> uh, that gets, that's classic in Elmodovar things. There's like a complicated relationship with his mother, mm-hmm. a young boy's sexual awakening, and I don't know some like good interior design. Like yeah. I feel like oh, those yeah. are the main. Oh, his Elmodovar apartment was things. so good. I, I read that um, it was very closely uh, related sure. to off of Elmodovar's own apartment. Sure, it was. all this beautiful art hanging on original. Oh pieces. yeah, he has all this beautiful art. Like, and um, he's like, oh, all my money is in this art. But then otherwise, he just kind of lives in an apartment. You know. The mother stuff was so, and flashbacks were interesting. It showed like a, a part of I guess it was I assume it was Spain uh, that I didn't really know Spain. where people Spain, living yeah. in caves. Yeah, so it's uh, like the, the whole plot of the mother section is like, it's like the son who is the Almodovar stand-in and his mother Penelope Cruz. They're going to meet their father who has gotten them a house somewhere, and they're going to go to the house. And they get there, and it turns out the house is a cave. And the mother is like, "What? We have to live in a cave?" And he's like. It's very common here. Everyone lives in caves. <laughs> and then it's like about her trying to make the cave nice. And by the end of the movie, the cave is like the fucking nicest place in the world. It's very nice. I was looking at it. I was like, this would be the most expensive Airbnb in the fucking <laughs> world. If you went into this beautifully done up cave in Spain, it was like perfectly whitewashed. It has all these amazing tile work in it. It would be like $1,000 a night <laughs> to stay in this place. Even the floor was good. Even the floor was good. And it was a fucking cave. Dirt floor, yeah. It was funny because there's the, their main. they have this cool skylight at the top but it just is a kind of a grill and and i was thinking um well rain would just come through <laughs> that like, they have a tarp for that shit there's you know, like a, a window or something yeah. you know and the, um there is a scene where i guess it's her penelope cruz's mother-in-law is there uh-huh and they're sitting at the table and the mother-in-law can't stop complimenting the house and previously we've heard that she said nasty things about about the couple and she keeps complimenting and she's like oh the skylight the light is amazing and penelope cruz is like well, it rains sometimes. I mean, uh, <laughs> and I was like, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, they'll just have like a, a different verve uh, movie that I was very interested in seeing. And uh, I'd like to come back to my asterisk now. Uh, and this goes to the ending. And it, which Wait, does before, before you get into it, ahead. can I say, in all likelihood, I think you can stick it up your asterisk. Mm. Thank you. Well, you were mentioning that like it is about... Uh, less of a movie about filmmaking and more about this guy's life being led. And it is a lot of that. 
until the very last right. shot yes, yes. where it completely does that. So yes. the very last and shot. This is not a spoiler, of, right? I mean, yeah. it kind of is, I guess. So like spoiler alert yeah. for fucking pain and glory. <laughs> but like. Uh, so we're there with the Penelope Cruz and the son, uh, young Salvador. Uh, and it's a flashback where we've seen before. It's, and... a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different part of a scene we've seen before mm-hmm. and we've gone past in the plot. So it's mm-hmm. like kind of a flashback within a flashback kind of. Uh, and then it just pulls the camera back for a second. You see it there on, there's a boom operator yeah. and uh, they're being directed. It just breaks the artificial and uh, then it's the, the character, it's the Salvador is directing it. And because the whole thing has been, he has retired from directing and he's not writing anymore and he's been blocked. But through the experiences of the film of coming to grips with his past, mm-hmm. he's been, we're led to believe he's been unblocked and he's written this thing that is the the flashback parts of the movie we've been mm-hmm. watching the whole time. And that's when we see him like looking at the monitor and smiling. Yeah. And then we see Penelope Cruz does... like smiling and shaking the, the young boy <laughs> actor. And that's the end of the movie. And there's like a, a whole storyline within the flashbacks, which we now learn are uh, uh, a movie. A movie. Yeah, right. uh, that there is a uh, a painting that he gets from a, a young when he was first yes. sexually awakened, and that he really did get apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, that really did happen. And in that real helped life, inspire right? a movie and all the other things in his life, such as kicking a heroin habit. <laughs> yeah, which is very easy, apparently. Yeah, super it easy. Did, honestly, it made doing heroin look pretty cool and easy. It did. Like, cause they were just freebasing it or like snorting it. Or he was doing this thing where he would like roll a hand rolled cigarette mm-hmm. in it and then smoke the cigarette. Mm-hmm. I had I never seen that before. one where he would just like dab a cigarette in it too. And like, like light just the front of it and yeah. light it. Yeah. Or just like a uh, tinfoil and smoke. Ooh, or just tinfoil so, and smoke. So many ways to. Honestly, there were that. lots of different ways of doing heroin in this movie and none of them were injecting. Cause that's the thing that you don't want to do is inject oh, sure, heroin. Sure, sure. But like if there's all these other ways to do heroin, I had no idea, frankly, you know? Um, um, anyway, so, but you know what I will say yeah. is, so this movie, it's revealed at the very last second to be a movie because you see the frame around the movie. Exactly the reverse happens in our other oh, movie this I, no, week. Oh, I know. I love that. You, I, was, I was thinking. Robert Altman. We're on the same page. It literally happens exactly the opposite way and that it starts with you seeing the slate and somebody saying action. Action! And then it, and then it's the movie. It's the real slate. It says the player on. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, that's the the other movie of the from this week, the player. This is a tough story, a tragedy. Not unlike Ghost meets Manchurian Candidate. The trouble is something you have to know. If you went to Pasadena with intent to kill, you could go to the gas chamber. It's not a movie. I'd like you to come down to the station. I would hate to get the wrong person arrested. Oh please, this is Pasadena. We do not arrest the wrong person. That's L.A. It's his life. Quote: A Hollywood producer murders a screenwriter and gets away with it, end quote. This is the quick pitch Robert Altman used to fill out his cast slash ask a favor for from his celebrity friends. In a movie filled with these types of quick pitches, uh, the auteur-director definitely marries the genres of a Hollywood satire and crime films with casual references thrown in from Sunset Boulevard to Fritz Lang's M to the other remake of M that everyone considers sloppier. Altman uses genre to create an outer shell allowing his own personal feelings about Hollywood studio systems to create a world around that elevator pitch murder plot. And to make the affair even more realistic, he also uses a roll call of early 90s who's who Hollywood to play themselves. Julie Roberts, Bruce Willis, Burt Reynolds, Cher, Jeff Goldblum, 
Jack Lemon, and on and on and on. David Alvin Randy Greer. Newman, Harry Belafonte, Angelica Houston, John Cusack, Burt Reynolds. Maybe thematically similar to the last episode's discussion on adaptation in the meta snake eating its own tail aspect, the player nonetheless showcases the hallmarks of Altman's career. Zoom in tracking shots, a trust in his actor's improvisation and skill, realistic sounds, and a loose storytelling to support a satire. Chris, tell me about The Player. Well, The Player is obviously a classic. It's a movie that I have loved since it came out. I used to watch it on VHS a lot, actually, when I was a kid. I I really liked it. Yeah, I really like the player. I was a very precocious child, Caleb. You know, I had a subscription to Harper's when I was like 11 years old. Not Harper's Bazaar, like Harper's. Damn. Uh, so yeah, I used to really be into the player in 1993. Yeah, I really was. And uh, I mean, partially because there were boobs in it. Like, let's be real. There's <laughs> one scene where there are boobs in it. Uh, and so that was like pre- a pretty big part of it. I think it's a really good movie. We were talking about it before the show. It's it's an unusually straightforward Altman movie. Like maybe like unique in his oeuvre in a certain way. Definitely. Because um not only is the plot like pretty straightforward, the um I feel like he's doing a thing in the movie because Altman's famous thing from like Nashville or whatever is like overlapping dialogue, like realistic sound. That's his whole trip that he's on. And I and he continues doing that in his later movies. Like I think Gosford Park, one of my main reasons I don't like Gosford Park is I can't understand what anybody's saying <laughs> ever. I cannot, I don't know what any of the lines are in Gosford Park. It's impossible to understand um, <laughs> according to me. But um, this movie, I think, doesn't do that. It has very clear sound design. It's very, one person is talking at a time, but it's kind of doing it uh, visually. Like, there's a scene where, like, Tim Robbins, who's the main character, is having a very important career breakfast in this Hollywood restaurant. And, like, a whole whole hockey team walks in front of the camera. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? So it's doing stuff like that instead of audio stuff, I feel like. Not that to say the audio isn't naturalistic. It is naturalistic, but it's not overlapping and cluttered in the way it is a lot of times in an Altman so movie. So Altman, uh, at this time, this was 1992, and everyone always says this is his comeback film, and he always says that, yeah, I was just not making movies that they wanted to see. Uh, like in the, the 80s, I mean, Robert, let's start in the 70s, where Altman made MASH and McCabe and Mrs. Miller and mm-hmm. Nashville, and he was the it boy in Hollywood that everyone wanted to work with. Great actor, reputation. Uh I think he Popeye was the one that kind of did him in in 1980. Yeah, I mean, that was a kind of a um, disaster, which I kind of like, but whatever. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. Whenever you um, can like it. But then in the want. 80s, he made a lot of like movies based on plays. Uh, uh, worked not within the Hollywood studio system. He was writing it himself. Uh, and this was, uh, like you said, it's more straightforward. Uh, he really respected the script. The script is from Michael Tolkien, who wrote uh, the novel The Player too. But yeah, so Altman came back. He wanted to make short circuits, but uh, he needed a hit before he could make uh, a Raymond Carver no- Raymond Carver novel into a movie. Shortcuts, do you mean? Uh, short. Yes, I said short circuits. That's so funny. We're leaving <laughs> this in. Definitely not. Do you want to do it over? No, we're leaving this in. <laughs> I saw that movie short circuits with <laughs> yeah, Johnny Robert Five. Robert Altman was like, Robert look, directed. Robert Altman was like, look, I wrote Johnny Five is alive, <laughs> and I need to hear it in a movie theater. <laughs> shortcuts, which is great, and. Uh, but before he needed to do that, he was handed the script. He's like, oh, I like this. Let me do my thing on it. And he just really like, planned all this wonderful stuff out. And it, it's a very confident film. I had this thought and see if you could follow it with me because I was kind of stoned when I had it. Um, Great. The player, it never drops the ball. Like it always go. If it was a, if it was a football game, the end score would be like 57 to 53. Like 
amazing thing to watch. Uh, no, like all the tiny like parts. Like, you should really just make it like a, a sports an, an extremely specific NFL analogy. Like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, they never drop the ball. It's always exciting. Uh, like even like the more mundane parts of of it are like filled with uh, these huge Hollywood stars or like this amazing camera work or like a beautiful production design. Oh my god, the camera like, work is beautiful. So yeah. much of everything in this movie. It's wild of movies, and it just takes this kind of straightforward shaggy plot of uh the plot is uh yeah right a it's like a hollywood studio pro- movie producer uh gets away with murder uh it starts off with him uh with like two separate plots of uh one being the more straightforward hollywood movie like there's another producer who's aiming for my job and they're like yeah. rivals uh and then it also another plot appears where he keeps getting threatening postcards right uh which Robert Altman wrote himself. Um, Did he really? Yeah, oh, cute. That's nice. Um, and then it's cute. It and then those. Cute. And yeah. then he thinks he knows who wrote these postcards. So he like, oh, it's just a writer, which is very funny. Like he just thinks it's any writer. It's just a writer. And, and he he's singles, the right. He's the writer's producer. And he singles so. out one writer, uh, and then ends up murdering that writer. And it turns out it was the wrong writer. Uh, and then throughout all, end up getting away with murdering that writer. <laughs> and also uh, that writer. Uh, and this is another key strength of the player. Uh, is its cast, uh, not necessarily the extras, which are, you know, movie Jack Lemmon and Cher, yeah. uh, but role players are so good in this movie. Uh, that writer was played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Does I completely not... forgot it was Vincent I know. D'Onofrio, yeah. Such a fucking good actor. He's so good. And he's uh, wearing such a good 80s outfit, yeah, too, in his, his big scene. He's wearing, like, a... a, like a most a hair I've ever seen colored, on him, too. Uh, silk blazer, like a Western belt that's tied around itself and like sticking out the bottom and all studded like acid wash jeans. Mm-hmm. And he's playing a writer, which is like a very nerdy, like making fun of Hollywood thing where throughout this whole movie, the writer's just like pitching ideas, like, yeah, oh, I want to say this thing. And uh, the way he's just like kind of like dark and like thinks he's like, I know what's the truth is out there as a writer. It's so fucking funny. He's so good in it. What what a great character actor. I would say like Full Metal Jacket number one, but the player is probably in his like top five. It's really me. good. Well, and the thing you haven't talked about, especially considering what we were talking about last time, like Buck Henry has one of oh, the all time great yeah. scenes. It's right in the beginning during this opening tracking shot we're going to talk about, I'm sure. But like it's he's doing this pitch for the movie. You see this all the time when he died recently. Everyone was putting this clip on social media. It's him pitching. He's like, so, so it's uh, the graduate two, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, it's hilarious. The three principals are still with us: uh, Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Mm-hmm. Twenty-five years later, and so are the characters: Ben, Elaine, and Mrs. Robinson. Ben and Elaine are married. Still, they live in a big old spooky house up in Northern California somewhere, and Mrs. Robinson lives with them. Mm. Her aging mother, who's had a stroke, Mrs. and who lives, had Mrs. A stroke? Robinson has a stroke, so she can't talk. It's gonna be funny. Yeah, it'll be funny. With Dark a stroke and weird and funny and with a stroke. Okay. Maybe it's not a stroke. Maybe it's I don't know what. Anyway, it is. go it's on. It's a malady of some sort. Okay. That tracking shot. Um, Amazing. It's eight and a half minutes long. They had to like completely make the set themselves. He had to plan out so many things. It feels so loose and naturally. Oh, it's such a good, like in 1917, the camera work is very much the show. Uh, and so like, oh wait, instead of following these characters, I'm just watching the camera work. We're at this tracking shot. Again, it's only eight and a half minutes long. I mean, that's pretty long, dude. Eight and a half minutes is pretty I mean, compared to me to this two hour movie. Right, that's not, it's not one, it's but not one uh, shot. You know, it's close. It's all it's edit, three edits. Shots, it's all right? it's a bunch of edits that yeah. you don't. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, but this is just like, uh, 
first of all, they come out, uh, these characters come out and say like, hey, have you seen uh, this Orson Welles movie? <laughs> you Touch of Evil? Yeah, yeah. Touch of Evil, and it, which has a six it's minute long a half minute tracking, tracking shot. shot. lays out the whole movie. Uh, but the thing about this uh, tracking shot is uh, a lot of the uh, pitches in this movie are improv. Like, Buck Henry was improvising that. Jane, Joan, excuse me, Joan Tewksbury, who wrote Nashville, uh, is the second one. They, oh, really? They're improvising this. So they did this about 10 times, and they had to improvise. It's all different stuff every single time. Oh, my God. Wow. Absolutely amazing. They had to, like... Uh, like someone falls over and that's a cue for all these people to run over here and go. Uh, and this is uh, 1992 where people weren't doing that. Just Robert Alton yeah, being right. like, oh, I'm coming back to Hollywood. I want to show off. I know what I want to do. I know I, I mean, love it's movies. It's so well done. You're right. It's so naturalistic. You're not thinking about it being one shot. Like you could watch that movie and not notice that it's one mm-hmm. shot because it is. It's go, it goes over such a big territory mm-hmm. and it goes into and out of a bunch of buildings he, via looking through windows uh, gr- you know uh griffin mills uh, the tim robbins character gets like three or four three, th- I think like, three like four pitches, pitches. i think yeah. it starts off with him being pitched and then like he has three sit down pitches oh yeah somebody's pitching him like while he was walking through yeah. the building and then he has three sit down pitches uh and then there's like other so yeah somebody gets hit with a car and like you oh, yeah, know yeah. people cars driving and out of the scene and like so much stuff happens it's eight and a half minutes it's really it zooms long. in on like a postcard to zoom out and then you see like oh wait now the more is going on around here uh again very confident filmmaking from a yeah, very confident God, right. filmmaker yeah, definitely uh and again he's doing improv he trusts these actors to do it and i love that he put uh role players in it uh fred ward's fucking amazing in this movie uh, yeah. as I mentioned vincent Arfrio. uh Peter Gallagher is the rival thing. Peter Gallagher is not. Peter Gallagher is great. Why is he in not movie? in like more like Peter Gallagher just started movies, I think. playing like rich dads. So, like yeah. he's actually acting in this movie and he's really so really good. good. Uh, uh, I loved Richard E. Grant in this movie. Oh my god, Richard Ugh. E. Grant! I'm so glad at this point in history to be able to say Oscar nominee Richard yes, E. Grant. Like, yeah. Oh my god, it's uh, so great. But he's like a young shithead in this movie. Yeah, yeah. This is like the young shithead version of to him. A, it's kind of the point. He's a, a screenwriter who uh, writes the movie Habeas Corpus. Habeas produce the. <laughs> The corpse <laughs> <laughs> uh which the whole plot of this movie is like the integrity of art i think at one uh, i mean i know at one point because i just watched it uh they're at an award show and they just say movies we need them now more than ever it's forever so like, no yeah. it's movies now more than ever forever yeah. out of all the wonderful people in this movies two of my favorites might be the detective duo oh of Whoopi Goldberg, Lyle Lovett. So amazing. Um, this is during that brief time where Lyle Lovett was in a lot of movies. <laughs> like this is when he was married to Julia Roberts, right? Oh, right. Yeah. And Julia Roberts comes up like a thousand in those pitches that everybody's like, Oh, oh yeah. it's like, like Julia Roberts. He's picked the most hottest actress at the time, which at this time yeah. was Julia Roberts. And so Lyle Lovett gets to be in this fucking movie. <laughs> Who is uh, like, he's, I mean, he's fine. He's just fine. But he's, so that, uh, like I told you, much. um, he, uh, Altman just comes in and allows, uh, just provides a safety net for his askers. He allows his askers to come in and like take his big askers, risks. His askers? His ascots. His ascots, um, yeah. So there's this amazing scene with uh, Whoopi Goldberg where they're like first, and she's their detectives uh, bringing him in for murder, and they're trying to get a read on him. And that scene is so loose. Uh, they're like questioning this guy for murder, but it's like so, like, like Tim Robbins is like smiling the other way. And the whole scene is just like, them talking about the movie Freaks, and then uh, there's uh, tampons that come out. And they said they just re- re- improv that scene, uh, and then this, like, kept doing it over to, like, the experimental theater that Robert Altman wanted to bring to this Hollywood procedure. So uh, that Whoopi Goldberg is an amazing improviser. Uh, Tim Robbins at this time uh, was uh, doing a lot with his, uh, I think it's called People's Theater, uh, oh, where yeah. he was doing things. Also, Tim Robbins at this time. Wow, what a weirdo so streak hot. he was on. So hot. I mean, this is the time when he was doing stuff like Bob Roberts. Uh, yeah, which it was is the like, same year as Bob Roberts, which he directed. Such a good movie. A year I, after, was really into, I, mean, I don't know if it holds up or whatever, but it's like a really interesting fun, yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, it was a year after Jacob's Ladder. Uh, 
the Hudsucker proxy Hud wasn't Sucker far proxy. off. That was like, honestly um, one of my favorite movies What when a, I was a weird kid. thing. It was also uh, in 92, he hosted SNL, which was the Sinead O'Connor episode. Oh, really? <laughs> trivia, wow. a little bit of trivia. Interesting. I mean, he was really hot at the time, you know? He's just what a a weird six actor, yeah. feet five inches. Is that how big he is? He's a tall dude. He's tall as shit. He's a theater he's guy, like too. He's like extremely liberal. He's a theater guy. And uh, he's spread... willing to play anything. Yeah, He'll I, play I like the... a dumbass in Bull Durham. He'll play like a shitty <laughs> Hollywood executive in this movie. He appeared in his son's movie, VHS, as yeah. a uh, uh, murder suspect uh, <laughs> clue type thing. So kind of like this movie, is that? But the joke was that... Um, I'm going to go through my thing right now, but if it if that didn't happen, you could just fast forward until I hold up the red square. And then like it just him being fast forwarded the whole time is his plot. <laughs> it's funny. That's funny. I like that. I think I want to also talk about these cameos. If you have anything to add about these, no, sure, please. So many cameos in this movie. Uh, they're very funny, uh, and they just add to uh, the realism of Hollywood. Uh, like we're t- we're at a table with Burt Reynolds and his producer, and they're talking about uh, bullshit, and then it just like. You see Tim Robbins sit down at the table behind him and just like zooms into that through Burt yeah, Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. So good. So good. And Cher is just like walking down a red carpet. It's like the date of Peter Gallagher at an oh, awards yeah. show. Yeah, right. I read that uh, it's a inside joke that Cher does not wear red dresses ever. So oh that's why she wore a red dress in this movie. That's so dumb. That's the dumbest <laughs> Hollywood bullshit I've ever heard. One thing about celebrities is they're all fucking idiots. Like, no offense to celebrities hey, at it all. It makes movies good. I would love to have some of your money or to hang out with you. It would be great. Or to kiss a little bit. That would be cool. Um, but if you ever spend time with a celebrity, I mean, this is not true of all celebrities, but a lot of them are like real dumb. A little bit of a celebrity. A lot of them are real dumb. Uh, so the player... Uh, is just an amazing Robert Altman movie. Uh, it takes uh, a lot of his uh, confident filmmaking of like just how he plays with genre. For example, like McCabe and Mrs. Miller was a Western that he kind of satirized. Uh, I feel like people don't talk about O.C. and Stiggs enough, which is a movie he made in the 80s. I don't think 80s. people talk about that at all. I know, no. it's weird. I like O.C. and Stiggs. It was like a teen comedy that they marketed as a teen comedy. But he's just so good at satire that it felt like a teen comedy. Like I've he's making fun movie. of it. I have no idea what you're it's talking so about. It's so good. Paul Dooley's great in it. Um, uh, one that people have seen, uh, Long Goodbye. Uh, it's like a, de- it's a detective. It's a very good detective. He's satirizing it, but it's also very good at being a detective film. I mean, can I just say, like, not to sound like my mom from the last episode, but as somebody who read all those Raymond Chandler books and read The Long Goodbye. Like, oh, it's too different from the Long. It's Goodbye. very it's different. Very, yeah. very different. <laughs> Every, everything about it is different. Uh, I think Altman is uh, maybe too good at presenting uh, that satire that the satire doesn't come through. Uh, but the player uh, has a little bit of those uh, lampshades to like make it come through. Like, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of movie posters on the wall that right. come through. They do like foreshadowing through movie poster at the end of like every scene. Yeah, they there's zoom like a in on the movie Hitch- poster and they're like, something bad's about to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, like really there's a picture silly. of Hitchcock at one point. When somebody's through. investigating something. Uh, there's yeah. a point where uh, as a, uh, he's a very successful movie producer. He tells uh, the writers uh, who he killed a girlfriend that uh, the movies have all these elements. Uh, he starts naming elements such as uh, action Earth, and fire, hope. water, yeah. Uh, action and hope. And then uh, the things that happen in the movie. Then he says sex, nudity. And then like the next scenes are like <laughs> sex and nudity. <laughs> uh, and then the ending happens, which is... Uh, he gets away with it. I mean, he well, gets away yeah, with it. He gets away with but, it. But uh, the person who actually wrote the uh, postcards calls him 
to pitch the movie that just happened. So it's like, oh, wait, the snake's eating its tail. Uh, and then he said, but we get a happy ending. That's how it works out, okay? So, like, the guy who wrote him postcards gets to pitch his movie successfully because he won't tell on him. It's a very wonderful meta joke yeah. uh, that lands this entire uh, exercise in uh, fun filmmaking from Robert Altman. I mean, I remember being so fascinated by this when I watched the movie the first time because it was, you know, obviously art movies exist and they discuss within the player the concept of having a like an unhappy ending mm-hmm. uh, or a happy ending. And this is either one, depending on how you look at it. But the idea that like the bad guy, I mean, it's it's a complicated discussion about He's a great area guy, character. Yeah. What I was going to say is like for big budget, you know, like movies, it was kind kind of an early anti-hero movie where somebody does something reprehensible and then you're supposed to root for them to get away with it and then they do get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like that that's much more common now. It doesn't seem that unusual, but at the time, I mean maybe just because I was a kid, but like it was it was a, like a real surprise to me. Yeah, yeah. It was like a real revelation that like this is something that could happen in He's the movie. A bad I was like dude, holy shit. But also like conniving and like portrays himself confidently as a winner kind of like yeah. uh uncut gems uh howard ratner but also well, I mean, uh, caleb but can i say this is how i win <laughs> <laughs> uh his this is how i win movement when he was uh put uh the seeds of how to sabotage uh the peter gallagher characters like this is how i win oh, i want to make yeah, him yeah. think this movie but also i think that the uh that character i just played her name is uh julia in this movie her played by uh greta scoshi uh she kind of plays this idealized version of a woman. She's always happy. First of all, her boyfriend's all, murdered. She's never wearing a fucking bra. Like, first well, of all, her, her boyfriend's murder and she falls in uh, love with the killer. Yeah. Uh, immediately, immediately. She doesn't know he's the killer at first. Uh, there is some fun. Uh, he does tell her during sex that he is the killer. Uh, but uh, it, she just always supports him and always uh, is this like kind of almost a, a weird fake version of, like she's a successful painter. She greets him when she comes home. And it does add to this, like you root for him because she likes him. It's and also it also a, uh, makes the ending happy because he gets the girl too. God. It's also such a like late 80s, early 90s thing. The idea that like a rich person's hot girlfriend was a painter. That's like exactly what mm-hmm. happens in Wall Street, which they also make fun of in this movie. But that is, yes. the, that so, is what happens in Wall Street. So, yeah, it reminded me of that. And also uh, the fact that a it is a very uh, late, 80s early 90s thing uh reagan bush era thing perhaps of and this movie maybe explicitly says it wait can uh, i say all reagan her bush is that something i can say maybe (laughs) but it's a thing of rich people get rich white men getting away with murder yeah right yeah right 100 percent. and if altman uh who maybe was definitely trying to say that knowing that guy yeah, I mean it's very interesting, right? Because it's a Holly. I mean it's a Hollywood satire, and it also for me, it, for some reason, the early '90s was like a big time of Hollywood satire, right? Am, am I imagining that? Like I don't know, like Tiny Toon Adventures, a show for children, was half Hollywood satire, yeah. and then Animaniacs, another show for children, was like much more Hollywood satire. Mm-hmm. It was just very, very in the zeitgeist at that time for some reason mm-hmm. that I really can't explain, but it was like. It was basically like, I feel like filmmakers in the 80s were like, oh, we're making so much money. It's crazy. And they, you know, they're making like $1 million. I can't think of what to write. Let's just write what we're doing right now. Yeah, I don't know. And so it just became part of the zeitgeist in a certain way. I would say way. the player maybe uh, busted down that door a little bit too. 
But then if you think about it, like there's basically no time that Hollywood hasn't been self-referential. Like the oh, yeah, first um, version of The Star is Born is like from the 20s, right? Uh, Sunset Boulevard, the first one was like a 1930s? Sunset Boulevard? No, it's from the 40s, I think. 40s? Oh, I was off by a decade. There was like a... a when was the remake? I don't know. That Star was... is Born, 1937 is the first sure, version of the Star is Born. The plot of every silent movie is like, I'm going to become a chorus girl. Do you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> Hollywood has been fascinated with itself from the fucking Oh, yeah, jump, even uh, you know? some like Daffy Duck cartoons, Scarlet Pumpernickel. Yeah, <laughs> they're about called. Scarlet yeah. Pumpernickel. I do remember that. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is that enough? Like, hey, say, Caleb, let's say that you're going to be drowned in four inches of dirty water in a parking lot in Pasadena if you don't pick one of these as your actually best choice movie. Uh, All respect due to director Pedro Almodovar, but I'm going to pick Robert Altman's The Player. Robert Altman, I love... I've This is only the second time I saw The Player. I've probably only seen... I've seen a bunch of Robert Altman movies, but I've only seen them once. They are usually over two hours long. They are usually uh, shaggy. Uh, But I've probably seen maybe like two or three multiple times including now uh the player and i loved the player the first time and i love it even more now uh what an amazing filmmaker it's he is a really good it's a really really good movie i mean so when we were dis- deciding what movies to do this episode i gave caleb a lot of shit for picking the player because i was like pain and glory is not even about movie making it's about the meaning of life uh it's it's so reductive to say that this is a movie two movies about movie making but you know of course, of course, and now having seen both of them again, like, you know, the player, I love, I love Almodovar and I do really like, and I think that, I think there's something, there's something about Almodovar movies that make me very emotional. Like all of them make me feel very emotional, even though I've led a very different life and <laughs> I really can't, I really don't identify with him as a person, but something about the way he represents the world is, is very close to the way I understand the world emotionally. And it makes me feel very emotional. And that's one of the things I really love about his movies. And I definitely had this with this movie, pain and glory, but I mean, right. If we're talking like uh, what, if obviously it's the player is the better of the two movies. The player is a classic. It's a classic for all time. It's unfair to put it against this movie. Sure. Um, and it's yes. If you have to pick one of them, it's the player for sure. Um, that's the show for this week, bye, Cowboys. Bye. Oh, bye, 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 the Thanks show. so much for coming by. It was so nice to see you. Um, Cowboys, we'll see you next I love time. y'all. We'll do whatever, you know. We'll, we'll do whatever we get. Okay, goodbye. Accept it, yes, I agree.